Welcome to the Tej Talks Podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Tej Talks podcast, and it's 2022. If I sound, yeah, it's because I'm recording this in 2021. So I'm trying to get that new year excitement, new year, new me, you know, new hair, who this? So yeah, same message applies, people. Go on Amazon, get my books. If you're new in property, you need to, you need to really read my books. The first one sold over, I should check actually, but I think it's 1,600 copies. So yeah, go have a look at that. Also my YouTube, this is very, well, this is only audio but I have so much on my YouTube. And now I've got another flip on. There's going to be a lot more visual content, but I have some really, really cool stuff, some really insightful videos and some great guests as always. So for you who are a bit more visual, uh, I know you like to listen to stuff so you can walk the dog and do other stuff, but the YouTube stuff, like especially for refurbs, there is so much gold on there, if I don't say so myself. Although it's more like Frankium. But anyways, I'll let the chemists work that one out. Anywho, on today's podcast, I have Claire. Now, today's less so about property specifically, because we've done all that stuff. We've been there, done that, got the t-shirt, wet t-shirt, complete, all that stuff. Anyways, we're talking about how to systemize, how to get your business functioning by being outsourced, systemized, and just working on the operations and splitting your business into five key areas. And how really, when you think about it like this and really like a business, and how you can use Claire's 20 years of experience in operations, which she shares today with you, just to think more about the business and think on the business and about the business instead of being in it all the time. You know, real ways here, real tips here on how to just become more effective, you know, how to be more effective. And of course, the more effective you are, the more profit you make, which is probably what most of us want to hear. So without further ado, I give you Claire and uh, go on Amazon, get my books. Bye. Claire, welcome to the TED Talks podcast. Hi, Ted. Thanks for having me. Really pleased to be on the show. Well, uh, apparently you often describe yourself as a down-to-earth mank. I hope I'm saying that right, mankunian, who says yeah. fuck far too much. So uh, <laughs> I'm looking forward to, to where this podcast goes. Um, but before we, you know, because today we're going to talk about kind of maybe working more on your business and the operations and, and the functionality of it and actually being a business and kind of ensuring it runs like one and it's kind of maybe a a smart business before we talk about that because i think far too many of us property investors just look at property as oh it's just buy a couple properties and then oh yeah limited company that's the best way we'll chuck it in there and then it's just hmm but there's certain people who maybe get to certain sizes or want to scale in a certain way or just just want to operate their business to match their goals whether it's freedom 20k a month, whatever it is. And they don't really, you know, focus on how the business should run and operate. So we're going to talk about that and a few other bits. But before we get into that, and then before we even talk about, I suppose, what you're doing in property and in one of your first deals, what were you doing before property? And then what got you into property? Yeah, sure. Uh, great, great question to kick things off. So I, my background is that I had a 20-year career um, in the corporate world in an FTSE 100 company and uh, in senior leadership roles. But I you know, started off right at the very bottom and worked my way up. And by going through that process over a 20-year period, it really um, gave me a, quite a broad experience and helped me to develop certain expertise. So I've done everything in the corporate world from um, answering the phones and then um, becoming a first line manager, a second line manager. I've had a team of two people. I've had a team of five people, uh, sorry, <laughs> a team of two people right up to a team of 150 people. And uh, I, you know, I've managed teams, I've managed departments, I've managed functions. So I'd say that the first half of my career, the first 10 years was very much about operational management, which is why I think that that's just intrinsic to what I do. I don't even think about it consciously. It's just part and parcel of me. And, you know, managing people and managing performance just comes 
very naturally to me. Um, and then the second half of the career was more um, um, more sort of strategic, uh, much more senior and and operating at a, you know a higher level. And uh, and that was very much around uh, management systems. So I am actually a health and safety professional as well. That's what I did for the last 10 years of the career. Now, the health and safety probably isn't hugely relevant in terms of my skill set, although it is a string to my bow and something that I care quite daily about. But um, the the experience in that part of the world was, you know, quite a lot around operating to systems, operating to frameworks, um, making sure that they were operating correctly, uh, making sure that, you know, controls and uh, various points around management and risk management were working effectively and, you know, producing some very high level uh, reports and pieces of work to the to the board of our, you know, our global company. And um, because of that, because of that quite broad background, I, I feel like I know an awful lot about the kind of the operational side of, of business. And like I said, more specifically around systems and processes and thinking about how things work to the, you know, the, the best way that they can. And um, yeah, it was, so, so how I got into property was, I had been there for 20 years. Um, and I often say that it, it got to the point where um, I was a little bit disillusioned, shall we say. It was, a, it was an interesting business that I was in. Uh, very much a history of jobs for the boys. If you were a girl and you had a brain, um, it wasn't it wasn't um, something that was welcomed. Sometimes, shall we say? So there was a lot of friction, a lot of resistance, and I got really fed up, to be honest with you. And there was a few situations where I thought, "Nah, sod this, I'm out. <laughs> I've had enough." And um, and I looked for. I, I was trying to. Um, I often describe it as like a bit of a midlife crisis because I was thinking, what's going on here? You know, I've been so conditioned for all these years and now I want to completely change my life. And I was thinking, I want to create time freedom. Um, Although I probably didn't articulate it like that at the time, but that's what I was looking for. And and it started off that I, um, first of all, we wanted to move abroad. We were thinking about moving to Cyprus and we've got, you know, I've got a, a nice house that, you know, we've um, worked up to over, over the years. And I thought, well, what we could do is we could rent that out and it would afford our life in Cyprus. And then I thought, um, well, instead of renting it out, we could sell it. And if I sold it, I could buy two houses. And then I thought, if I sold it, and instead of buying two houses outright, if I thought of buy-to-let mortgages, I could multiply that. And that's where the thought process came from. And I quickly realized that I could build a property business that would afford me the freedom that you know I so desperately craved. So it just so happened around about the same time that all this thinking was going on, um, the universe put something really lovely in front of me and offered me, my boss called me down and offered me a redundancy package. Um, so I think the expectation was that I was going to stay, but I said, nah, I'm off. And, and I left with, you know, a nice redundancy package in the bank to, to kick me off. And um, I waved and said, I'll never do anything like that again. And then I thought, that's me, property business. That's what I'll do for the rest rest of my time. I'll never do business stuff again. Hmm. And, you know, when you were working in that job, you know, and of course, over 20 years, quite a long kind of time period. And I'm sure a lot of people listening can relate to it. Did you have points where you thought, ah, I wish I could do something else? I wish I could have freedom. Or did you enjoy like the job? Well, interestingly, I really enjoyed it for, for a long period of time. I think when you're in that environment, um, it's all you've ever known. Like, you, I, you know, I almost grew up with it, really. It's, you know, I was there for half of my lifetime you know it's it's a substantial amount of time and you know we had a we had a lovely pension I had a nice final salary pension and you know lots of fringe benefits I had a brand new company car every few years private healthcare. it was all really really nice and I was very challenged in in the roles that I was in luckily for, for a good period of time so so I was institutionalized in some way and I really liked it but then to, I'd say for the sort of last maybe three or four years of my career while I was there, 
I think I got more and more disillusioned. I started thinking, well, maybe we aren't on, you know, such a great deal and maybe I could do other things. And I found it quite frustrating, to be honest with you. And and that was the time when I started to kind of think of other options, other things that I could potentially do. And I remember thinking to myself, like, you know, I'm skilled enough. I've got that much experience that I'm fairly certain that I could survive fairly well in the outside world and turn my hand to a range of different things. Mm, Interesting. And, you know, when people quit their jobs or if they leave them or whatever the kind of situation is, it's obviously a very... I suppose scary kind of place to be. And I know you had a nice sort of, you know, package there to kind of go with you, but, and some people have savings. So there's, I suppose there's a bit of a buffer, but you're still like, uh, okay, that monthly salary is gone. Um, uh, you know, kind of what next? And I suppose how next? So when you left, you know, how did you really kind of step into property and then really kind of internalize like, okay, here's the things I need to do in property to support my life and to carry on living normally. Yeah, I think I think when I first left, you know, that buffer in the bank was was a, a very nice comfort blanket. But, um, you know, I kind of stepped out of that, that world, you know, out into the big wide world of property on my own, just me. And to start with, I was full of excitement. I bought, you know, my first two properties really quickly after that. Uh, and then once the dust had settled, I very, very quickly started to shit myself and thought, oh, my God, this is real. I'm not getting paid every month. Um, you know, all these lovely things that we used to have, we're having to cut back on. Um, and yeah, and, and then it was, you know, the other thing was, and this is this is such a big learning for me, is that I've spent you know, any success that I have ever had has been collaborative. So, so I've always had a team. I've always had amazing peers. I always had specialists to turn to. There was always someone somewhere that could help out. And I, I am a fantastic team player. I'm a very good leader and I can bring the, I can bring the best out in people to to achieve results. That's what I've done. And, And then all of a sudden it was me, just me, Billy No Mates, being let down by tradesmen after tradesmen and, you know, dealing with people who just didn't operate in the same way as me. And yeah, it was, you know, I, I, you know, I'm not all full of bravado and confidence with regard to this. It was, it was, it was quite bad, actually, that first six months. I found it really, really difficult. Um, however, you know, I'm not one to dwell on it and I learned loads, loads from it as well. And, and I threw myself straight into it. I, I, I completed on two properties on the same day. That was the first mistake that I ever made. Yeah. Um, the, you know, the first deals that I did. So that was absolute chaos. And I just, um, I just set about. You know, I wanted, I wanted to, um, I wanted to be really strategic in what I did. But I found that I got often got caught up in the day to day, and I wasn't strategic enough, and and it resulted in numerous. Um, numerous mistakes that I made and, and lots of learnings to be had but uh, you know I, I imagined that I would tr- transition out of this you know this kind of corporate world you know a very very skilled leader and business person and just transfer those skills over and although they were there inside I struggled to apply them in in the beginning I've since learned and and hence where where I am today but um to start with, it was a bit messy, if I'm honest. <laughs> I think, you know what, that's, I think everyone really has a mess at the start and the extent of the mess, you know, depends on a few different things, but that's, that's the kind of real truth. There's a lot of people on social media who started off perfectly, lol, not, um, you know, there's a lot <laughs> of kind of, I think maybe even we put expectations on ourselves, right? Like in your example, oh, well, I've done, you know, something high stress, high level for 20 years of course I can do property. And then when it, when it kind of does get messy and does get difficult, like you kind of said there, maybe you struggle to implement some of the things. It's kind of like, I suppose it just shows how difficult and unique these businesses like property that we're doing can be. And for people listening, you know, don't beat yourself up, you know, obviously like Claire said, learn from the lessons, learn from the mistakes, you know, don't dwell on them, use them to move forward. But it was messy for me at the start, you know, it, yeah. I mean, it's still messy sometimes like, but you know, that's just kind of sometimes what happens. And um, if you could 
change one thing or do one thing differently, if anything, um, what would you have done at that start period? Um, so one of the one of the biggest things that I would have done would be to kind of stop and slow down. So hopefully this is going to resonate with you now, but we hear all the time, like, you know, take action, get started, get perfect later, um, you know, go, 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 action takers win and all this sort of stuff. Well, I'm a strategic planner. That's where my skill is. You know, I'm I'm very used to building plans, thinking things through, working out what we're going to do and then implement the fuck out of it, like, and really smash it. And what I did was I went running into it, like, you know, <laughs> just completely lost all of those skills and abilities and thought I could do this and, and run straight into a couple of refurbs uh, with, with no plan. Um, uh, sorry, not no plan, but a, a plan that wasn't adequate enough um, with a little bit, well, so many open ends that I didn't know the answers to. And, and I get that there's a degree of that, but what I really should have done was just slow down, pulled on my skills, plan things out effectively uh, and then and then made my moves. And, you know, this is something that I kind of encourage my um, my clients now to do as well, because what happens is if you don't do those sorts of things, you know, you go over budget, you go over time um, you know, you get let down and, you, and it affects your mental health as well. So I think I think if I was to do that again, I would make sure that I was much better prepared moving into the implementation phases of, of you know those those two particular property deals that we're talking about yeah no that makes a lot of sense and before we get into you know the kind of operation side and and the kind of the consulting element of your business or your consulting mm-hmm. business itself do you want to maybe share with us some of the figures of, of one of those deals so people can get a kind of feel for for what you were doing yeah yeah sure and and you know even even though <laughs> I mean, this this deal that I'm going to tell you about now, um, and we were talking a minute ago about like mindset and your head going down and stuff. I remember dropping the kids off at school in the middle of this refurb, dropping the kids off at school in the morning, coming back home and getting back in bed for the day. And I did that for about a, a week or two thinking, I can't deal with this. Like, you know, just literally lock myself away, pretend it's not happening. So, you know, I think everybody out there thinks that, this is, you know, oh, it's all super shiny, just like the courses tell you, everything's, you know, great. It isn't, sometimes it's absolutely shit, you know, and I had to give myself a serious kick up the backside to to get out of bed uh, and get moving on this deal. But even though it was hard work, I'm, I'm still really pleased with the result of it. So it was um, it was a three-bed end terrace uh, in Liverpool and, you um, it, uh, I bought it um, for just over £67,000 and it needed a full refurb. Now, not, not back to brick, but um, and in fact, I probably wish I'd gone back to brick, actually. Now, that's probably one of the learnings, but I didn't go back to brick. Uh, but it needed everything ripping out, uh, a new kitchen, a new bathroom, full decoration, flooring, um, some slight reconfiguration on internal walls it needed complete landscaping outside the there were about 10 I don't know 20 foot conifers they were absolutely huge and they just took out all the light of the of the house and roots going all underneath the garden so we had to we had to rip all of those out get all the roots out you know lay grass in the garden new fences new gates um new gutters roof repairs it needed it needed an awful lot doing to it and I had um very very unreliable tradesmen no <laughs> I had way some, they, they I exist know, Surprising. I, know, I couldn't believe it <laughs> one of the guys one of the guys took all of the took all of the gutters off and left it you know open and exposed as, as you do midway through a job and then yep. disappeared off the face of the earth and because I've not planned it properly the plastering had been done inside so the gutters were pouring the, the water was pouring down the walls affecting the the pla- oh god it was an absolute nightmare honestly he disappeared off the face of the earth uh, he never came back i don't know where he went um so so yeah so it was just it was just problem after problem after problem um but it was you know the end result was really good so the finish on the property i was super super pleased with the tenant that's in there now tina 
um she's she's my favorite tenant she's she's so cool and she just said she said claire i am never moving out of this house you'll have to take me out of here in a box hopefully i wish i could, i hope i can buy it off you one day i love it and she moved in um so it went on the market and within three days everyone says don't let tenants move in really quickly and all this sort of stuff but she was desperate there was lots of interest with it and um, she literally went in the agents, walked around the corner to the bank, drew out the cash, <laughs> took it back around and secured it and said, I'm moving in tomorrow so that you don't give it to anybody else. And she's she's been there ever since, probably about two years now. Um, so, yeah, so I bought it for I bought it for sixty seven thousand. Um, the refurb cost me twenty one thousand. Now, that's one of the learnings, really. I think that it didn't need to be that much if I had had reliable tradesmen and you know applied all of the lessons that I've now learned I'm fairly certain that could have been less but um you know oh and I just to say there was some good tradesmen actually some of them I still work with but some of them were a bit of a nightmare so so the refurb was 21,000 and um and then when it was revalued it got revalued at 95,000 which meant once I'd pulled obviously the the finance the money out of the deal that my ROI was around 29%. So for a single let, that's that's really good. And in fact, one of the things that impacted that as well was I was expecting a rental of £650 a month on that property, because that was kind of like the um the the kind of highest in the area for the you know for the nicest quality. And I ended up getting 725. So the agent suggested that we try for more because the finish was so lovely. And um, and then it went even more because there was that much interest in it. So the 725 increased the ROI as well as, um, you know, the, the savvy purchase price that I got on it as well. So if I think I often think, God, if I just if I'd have done that even better, I could have got an even better ROI. However, the tenant's been in it ever ever since the beginning. Um, so I've had no voids, I've had no changeover costs, um, I've had hardly any repairs, you know, because it was a full refurb. So it's quite a profitable unit, that one. I do like that property. I mean, yeah, that's it's always nice when you get an increased rental, because even just 25 quid or 50 quid a month in buy to let land actually per month and then over the year and over x many units it's like okay like this is actually making a kind of significant difference at least for us single let people so yeah definitely after you did these first two deals i understand you didn't rush to get any more you thought let's re-strategize let's see kind of where we're going and then you were ready to buy more and then what happened yeah and then the big c kicked in <laughs> covid um yeah so i've I'd, I'd kind of spent the um I'd, I'd, after those two properties because i bought another one around the corner at the same time i I'd, like you said i kind of slowed down and thought i just want to i wanted to strategize i wanted to plan i knew that i didn't want to get into equity business partners and um but at the same time, I knew that if I was looking for loans, then I had to find a way to create that holding capital to to continue the flow of deals and the and the business growth. So I wanted to think it through. I, I did a lot of networking, um, trying to understand, trying to learn, just paused for a little bit, which, you know, I don't think is a bad thing. Everyone's always push forward, push forward. I'm quite comfortable with that pause that I did because it, it actually shaped everything that I did from then on. Uh, and then come the and then I thought right beginning of 2020 yeah last last year I get I feel like I've been in a time warp thanks to this COVID and pandemics and what have you so yeah beginning of 2020 I'd formulated my plans and I was like right I'm all in let's go for this let's you know let's smash this year I had huge targets I'd built all of my plans I got going um and then COVID hit. And there was, if you remember at the beginning, there was a lot of chatter and a lot of talk about uncertainty in the market. Um, you know, the, the markets themselves were, were a bit up and down. And and I just thought, you know, I've, I've got risk management background and I was part of my plan was to um, loan from private investors. And I just thought if the market changes, I wouldn't be able to repay those loans and the risk wasn't I wasn't comfortable with that level of risk. So I decided to just sit on my hands for a bit and and see out 2020 and, you know, until COVID moved on a little bit and I knew better where the market was. 
And, you know, I was kind of twiddling my thumbs a little bit at, at home during, you know, the lockdowns and I can't even remember how many lockdowns we've had now, but in the middle of sort of 2020. And um, yeah, and then my my good friend and fellow property business owner, Paul Million, up in the northeast in Darlington, where, who I chatted to all the time. So we were, we were chatting and um, he said why don't you come up to Darlow, spend a couple of days with me and I can I can guide you on all things property. So I thought, oh, that's great. That's good. Something to do. Go and spend a bit of time with him. And um, yeah, I went for two days. I ended up staying for three. <laughs> He's like, don't go, stay another night. So I was like, right, okay. So I sat in his office, drove around with him, viewed his properties, read his projects, did tons of stuff over those three days. And um, Paul will... Every time I meet him, I learn something new. It's usually about bricks and cement and all kinds of stuff that he's he's mad about and I'm not. But, um, but yeah, there's always something to learn from him. And um, yeah, but what actually happened was I saw some of the, um, the stress and the tension within his business because, you know, he's, he's got a big property business. There's, um, I think it's about 130 tenancies, maybe 10 commercial to resi projects in flow it's you know it's significant he's got a, you know a little team there and um and it was stressful and he's busy and you know he doesn't sleep much and and it's you know there's elements of chaos so I was watching this saying actually Paul I think I can help you here you know this is just systemization and he said oh this is music to my ears I've been looking for this for years why you know and we kind of had a chat and I said listen I'll come and work with you for a little bit I'll do a few days a week and that's how it started. So I started I started working with Paul and then other pe- he got speaking to people and I got speaking to people and then other people tapped me on the shoulder and said, oh, I believe you can help with this. I can b- believe you can help with this. And before I knew it, I had um, a few clients and I very quickly got to um, capacity on time because I was back to selling time for money. And, you know, I hit that point where I was super super busy um I was stacked out and you know I was back to doing a very very similar job to to what I did before but this time I absolutely loved it I was loving helping people and um I I completely and utterly underappreciated my skills and experience at that particular point in time and yeah that's how it that's where the shift started really in the middle of last year interesting yeah no paul is paul is a, is a legend a legend of the north his, character <laughs> he is his 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 stories and the length of his facebook posts it's it's incredible and for anyone listening you need to go on facebook and follow paul million and join his um the property thing and whatnot um groups because the amount of value he gives out and like you said whether it's about cement or bricks and kind of um that element or it's about mindset or anything it genuinely is epic. And I'm trying to get him on the podcast, but as you know, he's so busy. So as you're consulting him, maybe you could give him a nudge and say, <clears throat> you need to fit Ted <laughs> <will> in. Yeah. <laughs> he's so, an absolute legend. He is just a, you know, a, in terms of property, what he doesn't know isn't worth knowing. He's a, you know, he's very, very um, accomplished as well. Perhaps. And he's so humble with it. You wouldn't believe he's oh, got he that says. many tenancies or anything. So yeah, definitely someone people listening should speak to, especially if you're in the North, um, go to his event. So I suppose this business kind of came out of you having the prerequisite knowledge from your your 20 years in in corporate and then having a kind of ideal client and it kind of come together. So from that, what has Hive Creation become and I suppose what does it aim to do? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, I had to transition from me being a a day rate consultant, which I was, you know, when when I was working with Paul, into something where I could help more people and and it not um impact my time as much so I completely sort of rejigged my business model and you know we're very early on in our plans the ambition is different to what where we're at today but at, at the moment um I work with a range of different uh, business owners now I'd say that maybe 90% of my clients are property businesses but what I do can be a applied to any business so I do have a couple of other uh, business owners in in a slightly different industry um so yeah what I what I help people to do is to create what I call their operational frameworks 
So all of the things that help a business to operate. Now, whether that's um, defining where you're heading, so thinking about your strategy and your journey and your ultimate destination, I help people get really clear on that because quite often people just go, I want 20K a month, I want 10K a month, whatever it is. But actually, what they really want is time freedom, uh, but they struggle to articulate. Sometimes they don't actually realise that and um, they end up building a business that operates. It might earn 20k a month, but it's complete chaos and you can't get out of it. So, yeah, so getting really clear on on where we're heading, um, creating business planning uh, schedules and, and routines and then getting into, you know, systems, processes, uh, building a team enhancing the team that you've already got if you've got one performance management um looking at legals so making sure that people are compliant huge gaps around this i see all the time very very scary getting a real good um real good visibility around the financial management so although i don't build financial systems because that that is the experts that need to do that. I need to be let nowhere near those <laughs> those systems. They're far too complicated for my brain. Um, but I know what I want the systems to produce, and that's that's rich data, you know, and current data that business owners can uh, analyze and make really informed decisions upon. So we work on on constructing those, and yeah, everything in between. So it's very very broad what I do, and I suppose I could. I could niche down into one particular area. For example, I could say that, um, you know, systems and processes, because quite often that's what I'm often associated with, systems and processes. But for me, I've got to, it wouldn't be right just to look at it that narrow. You've got to get a a broad uh, brush across all of those things and get control across all of those things so that you do your business justice because if you focus on one particular thing then you get an overspill on the other side and we've just got to keep the balance across all of them so so yeah so I work with clients um not fixing sometimes creating from scratch sometimes improving what's already in place and then implementing um systems and methods and actions around all of those different things and I just nudge them along the path of their you know their business evolution effectively and it it involves a little bit of you know well a lot actually of the things that I just mentioned but then also a little bit of this there's a lot of mindset in there we get a lot of heads going down challenges problems situations that we triage um a whole range of different things you know Sometimes I can go on a call with a client one week and they'll go, oh, everything's just turned to shit. Like this has happened and that's happened and I don't know where to go. And we literally problem solve our way out of it. So we don't necessarily move the development of the business forward very much in that particular session, but we dig them out of a hole. I mean, I've had a couple of examples of that in recent weeks, actually. And so, yeah, I do a little bit of everything. And, the you know, the ultimate outcome is that I, I always say as well that my success is their success. The second that they turn around to me and say, I don't need you anymore. I'm really, I know what I need to do over here. So I'm off. I'll be really happy. Like, I don't want to be, you know, keeping them there forever. Um, I want to give them the skills and the knowledge and the experience and coach them along that journey. Um, but yeah, the objective is to get them to a point where they've got, a fully functioning business that isn't dependent on them. They've got, you know, the appropriate people in place, if that's the, the right thing for their business. They've got the right systems in place to keep things organized. And they are an effective leader and they understand where they need to take their business and what it is that they're hoping to achieve. And they understand how to put the blocks in place to get them there. Um, mm. And that's kind of the objective, really. That's the way I look at it. Mm. And so... You know, I suppose, like you touched on a bit there, you are helping people out of holes sometime. You're kind of helping them once maybe they've created a business and they're like, "Uh oh, this is, I don't understand this side of it, or this is a bit of a mess. But would you say that for people listening, ideally, you know, when they're starting their business, they should start with the kind of core principles within operations that you can share? And if so, would you mind sharing some things maybe that when people are starting their business, some key things? they should do to make their life easier down the line yeah absolutely that's a great question um 
I suppose that my my ideal client is somebody who is mid-flow. So somebody who has an existing business, has um, income coming in, might have a little bit of a team, and, and they're kind of getting to that point where they're going, I can't keep spinning all these plates that keep dropping. So they're kind of the best people that I can help. But absolutely, I can help people who are just starting out. And, and that's about um, the learnings, you know, and, and exactly what you say there. And this is the bit that I try to share as much as I can. So if you're just starting out, you need to think about your business as a business. You know, your property business is a business. It's not your, you know, all of these, um, I don't know, <laughs> cliche words that you hear, you know, being chucked around, you know, financial freedom and this that, and the other. It's an it's a business. More often than not, it's a registered limited company and you need to act appropriately. So one of the first things that I, I ask anybody to do is to think about your business in departments, which feels a little bit unusual when it's just you. But as your business grows, most of us have got an aspiration to grow the business to a certain size. And more often than not, that size involves having people involved, whether they are outsourcers or insourced resource. Um, that is our vision. If your vision is to for you to have, I don't know, four properties that you just tick over yourself, then maybe that's a little bit overkill. But if you've got aspirations to get to a, you know, a medium size, you know, small or medium size property business, then think about your business in departments. So there's five departments that I work to, which are marketing and sales, operations, financial management, legal, regulatory and standards and team So if you structure around those five areas, it means that you can build systems and processes and activities in relation to to those those work streams. So, for example, in marketing and sales, what you're looking there, what you're looking at there is um, the marketing is a you're trying to attract something. Now, how you attract that, obviously, is where we get into the planning and we get into the systems. But you're trying to attract something, whether that's deals, whether that's investors, whether that's tenants. So you've got some very, very specific work streams to shape out in that department. In the sales aspect of it, you're looking to transition a lead that has gone, yes, in whatever format, into the actual operation of your business. So whether that's taking something through conveyancing, onboarding tenants, onboarding investors, so that that particular department then becomes very, um, it, it's very obvious what you need to do and what you need to build around it. So operations is the day-to-day management of things. So when you own the properties, when you're managing tenants, when you're managing repairs, um, if you're managing refurbs, you're procuring um you know, uh, materials for a refurb, if you're, you know, managing tradesmen, for example, all of that kind of sits in your operations department. In financial management, what we're looking for there is a good, strong grip on the finances. Now, this is one of the biggest areas that people just don't manage. What happens is they get to the end of the first year and they've got a shoebox full of receipts and they go, ugh, I've got to do something with this. From the beginning, build the systems, you know, build the structure that you're going to work to. So the first bit of financial management is creating visibility around that data, understanding what you spend in, uh, understanding what you're bringing in. So so that's the kind of basic level of it. When we when we take a step up, we're thinking around things like, you know, managing the tax effectively um, forecasting and budgeting um, a whole range of different things. But you know, just be aware that that is a department in a business that you need to get a grip on. So, so important. The amount of people that don't know how profitable their, how profitable their business is, you know, even on a month to month basis, it's usually like an annual view that somebody looks at. So legal, regulatory and standards is kind of as it says on the tin, um, you know, all of the compliance aspects. So this is a, another area that I find um, has huge gaps in people's arrangements. So the health and safety arrangements for a business, um, for property businesses, are super important. They're the thing that will get you in trouble the most. And they're the thing that if anything is going to ruin your life, that will ruin your life. And I've got some horror stories that I could tell around um, health and safety incidents and how it's affected people and affected their lives. 
uh, but I won't because we haven't got the time. But what I will say is it's important and make sure that you understand what you what your legal duties are around this and that you're discharging them through your arrangements. Um, and everyone's very, very keen on like FCA, you know, the FCA 13, uh, 13.3, where we're talking about, you know, um, uh, attracting investors. And, you know, as I'm not saying that that's not important. All areas of compliance are important. But, you know, you really don't want somebody injuring themselves on your on your watch. So and, and then the other part of legal regulatory and standards is the standards bit. So this is about the internal standards in your business. If you've got some a particular way that you want to, um, you know, set the tone within the business, we operate in this way. This is what we do. We only work to this finish. When a job's finished, we do this. And it sets the tone of, you know, how you, how you um, where you set the, the standard for yourself in the way that you operate. And then the final one is team. So our team, so that encompasses, you know, your internal team, your external team, and it's all about managing those relationships. So it might be around contractors. So thinking about contract to take on a management, something else that's really important and often overlooked. Um, how you recruit your own team, what your aspirational organization structure looks like. You know, so when you when you get to 10 properties, when you get to five properties, do you want to bring on this person to do this particular task or this person? So so forward thinking the team that you want and and the particular tasks that you want to outsource also within that team department i i incorporate things like learning and development so an awful lot of us out there are um you know we've we've been on courses we've been on um webinars zooms networking a whole range of different things where we learn we gather an awful lot of material and uh, quite often not, we've got loads of notes that are written in various books and we never actually do anything with all of that stuff. So um, the learning and development section of that department um, really encourages us starting to tease out some of those learnings and and building them into to plans and making sure that we're actually, we're structured and we're organised around the collection of that information so that we can actually use it. And then we're actually implementing the learnings as part of the the operations that we that we start to implement. So, so I start off with those five departments and um, and ask everybody to sort of structure around that. And and the other bit is that is to build the systems as you go. So if you if the first thing that you're doing is trying to source a property that is a suitable deal for you, then build the systems while you're trying to source your first property. So build the deal calculators, build the um, CRM system that manages the that manages the pipeline, build the different ways of um, you know, build the um the the kind of deal that you're looking for, your deal criteria, you know, is it is it a three bed? Is it a two bed? You know, what's your what's your ideal deal? What's the parameters of you know, what's in and what's out, you know, what's your perfect ROI? Are you working on ROI or are you working on something else? And just really nail down that framework for sourcing a property, whatever that might be for you. You know, in addition, things like where do you store files? What's the process flow that you go through? Have you got a script that you like to work to? Have you got a standard email template when you're making an offer? All these different things, you're going to be doing them so think a little, take a you know a couple of minutes longer to think about what you're doing at that point in time, create some structure around it, save it as a template or a process or build a system for it. And then next time you come to do it, it makes that process even easier. And that's probably the best advice that I could give to somebody just starting out. Yeah, no, I think that is absolutely solid advice because I was thinking back as you were saying that to kind of when I started and, and even when I speak to people and this even something really simple like, oh, you know, you're doing viewings for property. Okay, so are you tracking this? Uh yeah. you know, like it's a you know, it's a simple spreadsheet. You know, you can make it as complex as you like or as simple as you like, but you know, at its core, it's a spreadsheet that, you know, the bottom line is if you're not tracking your viewings, you're not following up on them, you're not getting deals, end of. And that's like the core of most property businesses is, is to find properties, to get property. And especially if you're a sourcer. So I think it can be easy to just say, oh, no, I'm so busy in the business. You know, as I'm sure a lot of people you kind of speak to say and experience, I'm in it. I'm actually busy finding deals. I'm doing this. But 
if we took a step back, and I suppose in this case, at the start, we set these systems right, we can analyze what we're doing and anything that's measured is improved. I think there's that saying. Um, anything that we can look at, we can get efficiencies from it because tracking it on a whiteboard or even just not tracking it versus tracking something, you know, you could find that, oh, actually, hold on a minute, I've got 10% more leads or I'm getting a higher conversion because I know where I am in this sort of ether of offers and viewings and phone calls and all this sort of thing. So I think that's really, really good advice is not to leave it to later, which a lot of us do, but to set it up from the beginning and it's flexible. It'll improve over time. It'll change. It's, you know, that's the kind of nature of it. But if you have it set from the beginning, like Claire's advising, it will just make such a big difference in your business. And I've seen it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And all the, all the, all the people out there in our community, because we, you know, we all kind of know each other. The people who are absolutely smashing it, even though they don't shout, I've got systems and I'm organized, they are, you know, there's there's not many people who can operate in chaos day in, day out, and still succeed and keep their sanity. Um, unless you're an absolute genius and you've got a brain like Rain Man or something, uh, it's just impossible. We're humans. We've only got so much capacity. And, uh, you know, we're, we're not that, you know, we're not capable of holding all that information and remembering things. So all the people that are doing really well have either built their systems from the beginning or got to a certain point and thought, I can't go on like this anymore. I'm stressed. I can't manage. I need to create systems. Ordinarily, when they get to that point, that's when people come and look for me or somebody like me, or they've spoke to somebody who said, go and speak to Claire. And they're quite often at that point where they've gone, right, I've taken it this far. And now I don't know where to go. I need some help. So I don't know if you do, um, if you know much about wealth dynamics or, um, or, or other sort of profiling, uh, you know, tests, if you like, like that. Mm. Um, they're so insightful. So, so what you've what you've generally got is when people get to that particular tipping point where they say, "Oh, I need to do something. I need to change." They've either got the skill set within them, as in, you know, it's in their flow. It's part of their, um, you know, it's part of their, you know, profile, if you like. Uh, it's part of their kind of natural skill and ability, and it's in their flow, and they like doing it. And then they they step into those shoes and they start delivering, and they do it quite well. And then you've got the the other side of the spectrum who go, "This is my worst nightmare. <laughs> I don't know where to start. I hate doing this. I've got no desire to do it. I know that I need to do it, but I don't want to do it." And generally, what I find is that that profile they're your deal makers. They're the people who are, um, they're really good at, you know, um, schmoozing estate agents and um, getting investors on board and all the people, you know, people facing side of the business, the negotiation, they're, they're absolutely brilliant at that, but they're terrible at building infrastructure, building systems, building ways of doing things. And, you know, quite often I speak to people of that, um, you know, of that kind of profile and they just don't know where to start. And they've also got no motivation to start either. So they need a little bit of a nudge and a kick to take them down that that path. Mm. And to kind of what extent, I suppose, when people are planning their operation should, and I suppose it is also dependent on the person, how they like to work, but do you kind of advise things like, you know, blocking time out in your calendar for sort of each part of the five core elements of a business? Like how how niche or how much do you kind of narrow down onto the level of sort of operational control we should have, do you think? Yeah, no, that's another great question that. So um, it's a really interesting one about time blocking because I have conversations about time blocking um, on a weekly basis. So, so the way that I work is what I do is really bespoke is the best way to describe it. So somebody might not need to time block. They might have a really good grip on the way that they operationalize and the way that they deliver everything that they need to deliver. And somehow they've inherently got the balance between everything and it just ticks along nicely. 
Um, and then you've got others that are just the polar opposite of that. Like they'll they'll invest tons of time in in marketing, for example. A, a huge one that I see is social media. They spend tons and tons and tons of time social media, drafting posts, communicating with people, doing lives, going in all the different groups. And then the other parts of the business just topple over because there's no control over it. So in situations like that, it's super important to get that balance right. So so time blocking is a way to, to do that. And um, so traditional time blocking, where you literally get your calendar and you say, these two hours are going to be spent doing my social media and copywriting, for example. Uh, this hour is going to be spent doing my bookkeeping or whatever that might be. That works for some people. and um, But what I've also found is that sometimes the people that need that, that structure is quite a demotivator. So if they miss that two hour, it then makes, it's like, um, it's like a dominoes run. It makes all the rest of them fall over. Well, I've not done my two hours doing this and now that's thrown me out for this. And before you know it, they're like overwhelmed, sod it, the laptop's closed and they've, you know, they, they've gone out doing something more often than not actually they've gone to listen to a podcast or do something some like pr- positive procrastination where well I did this I did some extra bit of learning and uh, you know I went in this webinar and I went to this networking event but they haven't actually done the core um, activity that they needed to do so I, I've developed an alternative way of time blocking whereby the time blocks are defined but they're flexible with where you can place them in the in the day um, so almost like a you know a movable time blocking system, and the time blocks almost become targets. And we use things like Pomodoro counters to to keep you on track for achieving your two hours of marketing work that you perhaps need to do. So um, if anyone's interested in that, you know, please reach out, and I will happily share that with you for you to take a look because um, it is really effective. And that's what I'm saying about there's not one size that fits all for everybody, and it depends on the individual. However, just to kind of summarize that the answer to that question, absolutely, you do need to get a good balance across all those different parts of your business. So um, and to allocate certain amounts of time as appropriate to the stage of your business every week or every month is a really great thing to do. So, for example, when you first start out and you've got, you know, let's you know in property you've got no properties you've got nothing in the pipeline you're looking for you're looking for investors you're looking for property deals well most probably you're going to spend hardly any time in operations because you haven't got an operation to run your financial management is probably going to be very light because you're probably spending rather than earning um you know, there's there's little bits of uh, legislation that you probably need to be aware of. And as far as growing your team at this stage, you know, it, it's quite light. So most of your time will be spent in, in marketing and sales. But let's say, for example, you are, you know, three, four, five properties in. Then if you imagine like a, a bar chart with those five different departments and at the beginning, marketing and sales is very high. Well, marketing and sales reduces and then operations goes up, finance goes up, legal goes up, team goes up. And then we eventually get a balance and a blend the further you go down the path, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And I think you mentioned like, you know, the Pomodoro timer is such a weird thing. It's just a timer, but it works and you feel like you're kind of competing against it and you're like, oh, I've got 25 minutes, like I have to get it done and it whatever it does to our human primal brains, we just like, I just find it so good for focusing. Um, yeah. And I think the time blocks being flexible again, it, it has to be bespoke, right? And that, for everyone listening, when you're doing this for yourself at the start, you know, if you've got something that has to be picking up the kids every day, or you've got, you know, you like exercising at midday, then I think it should be kind of based around your non-negotiables and the kind of things that life you know, um, without kind of just saying, oh, I have to work from nine to nine. And and I suppose that's the kind of what you help people with, Claire, is saying, well, actually, if we optimize this, we outsource it, we systemize it, then, mm-hmm. you know, you probably don't need to work like that unless, you yeah. know, you want to. Yeah. And that, do you know what that brings me, brings me to another really important point, which is, so I quite often get new clients that come to me and they, they say, um, you know, I'm currently working six or seven days a week. I'm doing 12 hour days. You know, this is this is people with operational businesses. Um, you know, I'm hardly seeing my family. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm overwhelmed, I'm stressed and all of those sorts of things. And, um, you know, I need systems, I need to improve income, I need to do all of this sort of stuff. Well, well, one of the one of the first things that I say is, well, before we even begin, like I want you to have a minimum, a minimum of one day off a week, preferably two. And I want you to do five working hours. And we'll, you know, we agree what those working hours are. You know, more often than not, it's more than a standard eight hour, five day week, because you know, most of the time that's impossible to achieve at, at the first step. But I make them do that. Because, you know, I'm not I'm not about people killing themselves off. Like we've got to get that balance correctly, you know, and and then becoming more effective in those working days. So like you said, that Pomodoro counter is so simple, but so effective to get people really narrowing in and delivering the stuff that they need to deliver so that they can clock off at six, seven o'clock at night and have tea with the kids and put them to bed and read them a story and, and actually get some sleep. Um, you know, and have a Sunday off where you actually go and spend time with with your family. Um, and to start with, it's really counterintuitive. Everyone goes, "No, I need to work more, not less." And I'm like, "You absolutely don't. If you're gonna if you're gonna work with me, you're having a day off because I, I just will not encourage that whatsoever." There's a you've got to get the the balance right, and then make sure that within the blocks that you are working, you're super effective. Mm. Yeah, I think yeah, no, I like that approach. It's the kind of being super effective is, I think it's something we all try to do and maybe think we're doing sometimes, but without stepping back, without analyzing it, tracking it, doing everything you've basically said in this podcast, you know, we never really know if we're being super effective. Um, And sometimes it does take a third person to kind of come in and kick the door down and say, what are you doing? You know, like here, here and here needs changing and we can sort it out. And so I think, yeah, being super effective is something we aim for, but I don't think we all achieve it in the same way we could if we systemize and look at our operations, like you said, with the five different things, which even me, I was thinking, hmm, have I kind of split everything like that? Like, is there a clear sort of thing? And and there probably isn't. So even for me, you know, to come from this podcast is something that I'm going to be implementing. Um, My next, yeah, my next question was going to be, what is sort of, what's next for you for i suppose for both businesses so new beginnings the property business and then hive creation the consultancy what is what's 2022 going to be for you yeah no um so exciting times ahead for me um there's i'm very much in that place where there's just not enough hours in the day but i'm going to do my best to to kind of take both businesses to the next stage of evolution so so for me in the, in the property business in new beginnings um i am a big believer of property. I love it. I want a bigger property portfolio. You know, that's where my aspirations are. Um, I'm also a SAS trustee as well now. So I moved that corporate pension that they told me was um, the best in the world and you couldn't get any better. And I took it away and and started my own SAS. And um, so therefore in in property, I've got a couple of opportunities. I've got the SAS pension that I can use to leverage and and grow. And um, and I'm also in the processes, uh, in the process, sorry, of creating some strategic partnerships. Because the one thing that I've realized is I no longer have the time to invest in my property business that I used to have. So I've had to get really strategic about that. And, uh, you know, one of the ways that I'm looking to still, still grow the business, but in a realistic way, is to work with partners who can help me on that journey. Uh, in addition, you know, use the SAS as part of that. And um, and then the other thing, you know, aspirationally, where I want to get to is that Hive is producing the income to, you know, support me, to support the team, and also then to feed into the property business. So that creates the holding capital. As we know, the market is challenging at the minute, should we say the least. And um Having the having the money to hold in a property deal because I you know I like single lets and that's what I want to build for um, for the foreseeable at least I might venture outside of that but but ultimately that's what I'm looking to achieve in the kind of short to medium term. Um, I need money, you know. I need <laughs> 10 k, twenty k, whatever it is to hold in the property, and I've got to create that from somewhere. You know, that's not going to magic out of thin air and. Being able to get all your money out of a deal is, you know, 
well, it's what the courses will tell you, but the reality is very different. So, so that's the strategy around that. I've I've worked out that I've got an edge on margin with regard to the lending that I can get from Massas, and I'm looking to partner with um, construction companies to get an edge in relation to the refurb. So I'm hoping that I can nudge some deals out in the immediate um in the in the in the short term really i've got a deal that i'm looking at with a potential business partner in liverpool at the minute um i've got a couple of deals so i'm hoping that i can make some moves with that but my my attention is mainly going to be focused in hive and and growing hive so the next stage for hive is that at the minute i serve my clients one to one which works which works really well but i've realized that again you know, there's only so many, uh, so many slots in my diary that that can be taken, and I'm pretty much at capacity now. Um, in terms of those one-to-one clients, I've probably got maybe two more spaces left, and then I am full. So I'm going to look to and 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 if if I'm honest with you, <laughs> if they don't get full, I'm not I'm not marketing to fill them. Um, it's just people coming to me because I am really really busy. Um, so the next evolution for Hive is first of all, I'd, I want to I want to launch early next year a product like a group product because I feel like even though I help businesses one to one and you know in a, in a bespoke way, I can still potentially do that in a in a group environment. But like a lot of the lessons that I give and a lot of the things that I teach the current clients, I do repeat myself quite a bit. So I'm going to develop a group program whereby it'll be more cost effective for people to to jump in on. And it's going to have tons of resources, tons of knowledge and some time with face to face with me as well, you know, in the groups and and some other things that I'm going to I'm going to bring in there as well. I've got lots of funky ideas of, you know, how I make that a real sort of rounded proposition for people that's going to be super valuable drawing on what I've learned from my existing clients and all the people that I speak to so that's kind of stepping stone number one um stepping stone number two is that I want to bring on other consultants or the coaches that that do what I do so another thing that I do is I actually go into businesses so rather than um being almost like a coach and a mentor I actually work within businesses, complete helping them to complete business transformation projects, which are super, super valuable for businesses of a certain size. And, you know, I want to do more of that. But as I've said before, there's only so much me. Now, my my skill set is not unique to me. I know that people kind of build on their name and um it's all about me as a person. Actually, I don't think it is. And uh, there's a lot of people that will slap me for saying this, right? Because it probably doesn't fit the standard marketing approach. But I believe I'm a strong leader and I have developed some really great teams in my time. And I'm really certain that, uh, and I've got a couple of candidates in the wings waiting to come in as well and um, drop in and, and you know pick up my hive model, the methodologies that I've created and help other businesses to apply them. And yeah, so that's kind of stepping stone number two is to bring in more me's, more consultants, more coaches. Um, And yeah, and then underneath, you know, underpinning all of those things for me is developing my team. So my team are um, we've I've taken on a couple couple new um, assistants this week. And I'm looking to grow. So I probably grow growing my team in a slightly different rate that other people would. People, um, yeah, my my growth, my growth path is slightly different in that I'm putting a lot of resource in growing the team at the front end of the of the trajectory of the business because I just know I'm more powerful when I've got a good team around me and we can achieve more. So they'll help me to deliver all of those other things. So yeah, so the team's expanding. We're going to move to the group products. We're going to expand to um, have you know other me's, other coaches that will be working with businesses. And and then I've also got um, I'm just in in uh, negotiation and talks around a really great partnership with um, a very some very uh, key people in the SaaS world. So combining my skills and my expertise and knowledge with with theirs to create another offering which I think is going to be absolutely brilliant. But yeah, that's going to probably come into effect in the in the next few months as well. So lots to be going at, tons of work to do. Um, but yeah, I'm fired up. I'm, I'm looking forward to having a Christmas break, having a couple of weeks off and just relaxing and 
switching off because I'm absolutely bloody knackered at the minute. But after that, um, I can't wait for January and to start pushing these things through. Love it. You have a lot planned. And yeah, I, I like the way you're going your business with other coaches because, yeah, obviously you're the you're the expert, but other people can still do it with your guidance and can still help people. And it makes sense. You know, you're implementing your own sort of, I suppose, principles in your own business. So yeah, it, it makes absolute sense. So Claire, uh, thank you so much for coming on the Tej Talks podcast. I know you have a little freebie that you're giving away. Um, people who are listening, uh, if you click the Tej Talks website link in the show notes, if you sign up for the mailing list, you will get this about two weeks after this podcast goes out. So sign up to the mailing list and you'll automatically get a copy of it. Um, but Claire, really briefly, what is it? Yeah, so so I, I put together a, a little series. Um, it's called, I call it Simple Strategy Design and Business Planning. So it's a bit of a starter, uh, a starter process to building a business strategy and then planning out what it is that you're going to do. And yeah, it's a little bit of a mini series. And the first, the first um, activity, the first exercise in that in that series is what I call the visioning exercise. So it's a it's quite a comprehensive document and it helps you to really map out your ultimate vision, both in, in respect of where you want to get to for your business, if you've got business aspiration goals, but then also where you aspire to be on a personal level, whether that's you know kicking back on a on your own private island or touring around the UK in a camper van, whatever that might be, you know, detailing all of that out because ultimately this journey starts with the end in mind. So if you can get really detailed and very particular about what it is that you're hoping to achieve, what the life you're trying to create looks like and what your aspirations for your business are, you can then build that backwards and, and get your business plan and, and everything else com- comes from that end point. Yeah, I love it. And I, I've looked at that document and it is very comprehensive. So yeah, people sign up to the mailing list and you will get that document. So Claire, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such fun. I really appreciate the invite, Tej. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.